Hey everyone, uh, so before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. Because of the recording situation, uh, our special guest's volume was like really kind of low for what I normally would do. So just be aware of that as we get into the episode, and maybe just turn it up just a couple clicks more than you normally would, uh, or not. Maybe you've got super hearing and you don't need to. Anyway, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy. We all had imaginary friends growing up. If you didn't, then you either had real friends or you're lying. It's part of the growth of a young mind, creating fictional characters, oftentimes better or cooler than us, that we strive to be like. Or at least fictional characters that we can share our own thoughts with. It's nice having someone to listen to us. You know what else is nice? Old movies. The ones that aren't super racist or problematic, at least. There's this warm, fuzzy nostalgia that comes with a lot of those old black-and-white comedies from the 30s and the 40s. The actors have achieved something of myth, and so many of those stories have been readapted and reinvented in modern times. They're kind of like imaginary friends. And speaking of, today we're discussing both. Hello, my name is Will Cloud. Welcome to the Script Library Podcast, the only place to get a subpar podcast for the price of a premium podcast. I mean, they're both free. If you're paying for your podcast, you're a chump. Now, today we're discussing a very special play, but before I introduce that, I need to introduce our very first, very special guest. Dylan Cloud, no relation. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. I'm really glad to um, be your first guest on you your podcast. Be. I have a confession to make, though. Okay, go for it. I have never once in my life listened to a podcast. Yeah. It's terrible, I know. But this is my it's, first one you know, I'm listening it's, to. It's, and it's, not, it's not that, like, your own brother writes his own podcasts and, and posts them, you know, for, for the world to enjoy. It's not like he does that on a pretty much weekly basis. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's All right. Part, yeah. Um, now, uh, just to give you a little bit of introduction, yes, this is my brother, and uh, Dylan's not necessarily an actor, uh, he has dabbled in it, um, but he is certainly a big fan of classic films and the film adaptation of this script. It's something we'll talk about more later, uh, or at least touch on a little bit, but a lot of films, especially comedies from the 1930s to the 1950s, were adapted from Broadway hits. Uh, plays really seem to hold a lot more weight back in the day, uh, and today's topic is one of those plays, Harvey by Mary Chase. Now, Chase won a Pulitzer Prize for drama in 1944 because of this play, and the story itself has been a subject of numerous films and stage productions. The most notable of these was the 1950 film starring James Stewart and Josephine Hull. Hull was part of the original Broadway cast, and Stewart would join the Broadway cast at least a few times in the uh, main role of Elwood P. Dowd. We'll talk more about Jimmy Stewart's love for this play, but before that, let me get into some content warnings, character breakdowns, and then, of course, the plot synopsis. Like uh, most shows or most stories from the early 30s, uh, there's plenty of alcohol and at least some use of tobacco. Um... There's a bit of an odd joke at one point where a character is referred to as a white slaver. This doesn't have racist undertones or connotations to it as far as my research can tell, 
but instead refers to essentially a human trafficker. Um, of course, with this being earlier in the 20th century, the discussion of mental health isn't necessarily the most refined. Uh, the sanitarium is often referred to as the nut house, though the patients inside the hospital have legitimately severe and potentially harmful disorders. It's not like they're just, you know, throwing a bunch of people on the autistic spectrum or people with Down syndrome in to an insane asylum. It's for people with uh, theoretically more uh, severe disorders. Uh, now, it's one of those themes, and we might touch on this more later, it's mental health, especially during that time period, is, is something that could be very dark and, and tragic. And uh, that side of our health system's history is really, really dark. However, this is a comedy about an invisible rabbit. We don't really get too much into that side of things. Um, there's also an archaic use of the word puss, uh, which coincidentally would be an amazing punk band name. Archaic use of the word puss. There's a smattering of language, but nothing super severe. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk characters. Elwood P. Dowd, International Man of Mystery, described in the text as a man of about 47 years old, with a dignified bearing, and yet a dreamy expression in his eyes. His expression is benign, yet serious to the point of gravity. He's eccentric, yet incredibly kind. We'll probably talk about this theme later, uh, since it's the crux of the entire show, but I think the best way to explain his character is from a monologue in Act 2. Quote, My mother used to say to me, In this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. For years I was smart, I recommend pleasant. There's this childlike wonder and an ageless wisdom in doubt all at the same time. Uh, now this is in sharp contrast to his sister, Vita. She is incredibly well-to-do. Uh, the Dowds were a family of decent wealth, after all. She, of course, is completely appalled by her brother's eccentric behavior and cannot stand to allow him talking about Hardy in public. Her daughter, Myrtle May, is also rather well-to-do, wanting to come into her own as a young socialite. Now, they're joined by a host of characters from other socialites to Dr. Sanderson and Chumley, the physicians at the sanitarium. Now, of course, I would be incredibly remiss if I didn't talk about everyone's favorite puka, Harvey, a six-foot-tall anthropomorphic rabbit based on the Irish shape-shifting spirit myth. Uh, he is a sophisticated individual who is also quite mischievous, and quite the conversationalist, too. Uh, of course, if you're lucky enough to see him and hear him talk. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Alright, cool. I'm going to now hand it over to you, to our guest host, Dylan, for the synopsis. Alright, so basically, Harvey follows the story of Elwood P. Dowd and his imaginary, well, maybe not so imaginary friend, Harvey. It begins by showing the effects that Harvey has on Vita and Myrtle May's lives. When Elwood and Harvey come home early, well, they're trying to host a party while he is away, um, Elwood proceeds to introduce Harvey to everyone in the room, much to the embarrassment of Vita and Myrtle May. Finally deciding that she must have Elwood put away at the local sanitarium, Chumley's Rest, Vita makes arrangements to have her brother committed. When they arrive at the sanitarium, Vita is under so much stress that the sanitarium staff assume she's the lunatic and commit her instead of Elwood, allowing Elwood and Harvey to go free. After realizing their mistake, the sanitarium staff begins to search for Elwood. The chase is on. No pun intended. 
really. I, I assure you that. I, I, I have to stop. I don't know where the pun is. The Chase. The author. Mary Chase. It's staring at me right in the face, ladies and gentlemen. I'm holding the script in my hand. It's right in front of me. Carry I'm, on. I'm very sorry to all of you who are listening to this and had to hear that. <laughs> Excuse you. Who's the host on this podcast? Uh, sorry, continue. Once he finds Dowd, Mr. Chumley is introduced to Harvey. He and Harv leave Dowd to go off by themselves. Of course, when Elwood goes to the sanitarium looking for Chumley and Harvey, the other staff members of the sanitarium assume that he has abducted Chumley. Then, after um, some quite intense debate over where Mr. Chumley is, in which Elwood refuses to be ruffled by the sanitarium bodyguard person, um, his rude behavior, we shall say, um, then Mr. Chumley breaks, or walks into the sanitarium after having been chased by something that he won't disclose to the staff. And thus the chillest manhunt you'll ever see comes to a close. With everyone back at the sanitarium for the final scenes, the Doctor and Vita convince Elwood to take a serum that will bring him back to reality, so to say. The process is disrupted when Harvey hides Sita's coin purse so that she can't pay the cab driver. Um, the cabbie relates to her stories of previous um, customers that he drove to the sanitarium that took the serum and returned from cheerful, though probably slightly off-the-rocker people into total jerks. Upon hearing this, Vita stops the doctor from giving Elwood the serum, and then the play ends with Vita realizing that Harvey had hidden her money in order to save Elwood from losing what made him him. End of scene, end of act, end of play. So before we get into our thoughts uh, on the on the script and on the story, let me give you guys some scenes and monologues. Now you'll have to bear with me. I didn't get these things written down in time, so I'm like I said, I've got the script in my hand. I'm gonna just go through these and sort of read them or give, not read them. Obviously, that would be really crazy me reading multiple page scenes to myself. But I'll try to give you guys an overview of these scenes. Um, our our first, it's really it's our introduction to Dowd. Um, it's when he walks in. Uh, he kind of has a, has a phone conversation with this lady, um, and so you get a chance to see it's it's a pretty decent uh, monologue, about a page long almost, but it um, it's him talking to Harvey, it's him talking to the lady on the phone, uh, talking with her about all sorts of different clubs and societies he's a part of, um. And, and of course, then he, as he does with pretty much everyone he meets, he invites this lady on the phone to dinner. But it's a very endearing, wonderful introduction to the character and would make a pretty fun comedic monologue to do for an audition. Now, um, moving on, let's see here, page pages 13 to 16, um, Vita and, and Dr. Sanderson are, uh, well, it's very funny because... Vita is trying to convince Dr. Sanderson that her brother should be committed, and he kind of gets the idea that she's actually probably the one that needs to be committed. Uh, <laughs> when she starts talking about Harvey, uh, he assumes that she's 
trying to put that story off on her brother and it's in fact she's the one who who thinks that it's that like she, it's her rabbit and she's just putting it on her brother uh so it's again it's about three four pages uh pretty pretty full of dialogue between sanderson and vita um again comedic two characters wanting completely different things it's a it's a pretty good monologue or sorry not monologue but a pretty good scene to do some work with uh, now let's see here, and I'm sure I've missed a few. Um, uh, again, I would recommend I would recommend anybody to, and again we'll talk about this more later. I would recommend anybody to read the script, so you know you can find things to suit your own needs. Um, let's see here. Now on page 54, if I can get there in time. Um, let's see here. Page 54. There's a really nice monologue. Uh, that Elwood has, where he just sort of explains kind of what he and Harvey do. Um, it's, you know, they go and they, they go to the bar, they go to a restaurant, they'll just sit there and they'll talk to people and watch and listen. And um, it's just, again, it, it, everything, everything that comes out of Elwood's mouth is just endearing and sweet and kind. And it's just, it's a lovely little monologue. Uh, lastly, on page pages sixty one to sixty four, uh, Doctor Chumley and Elwood. Um, this is that this is that scene that has the, um, if I'm correct, this is the one that has the scene. Yes, this is the scene that has Elwood's uh, quote about being smart or being kind uh, or being pleasant, I should say. Uh, but it's between one of the doctors, Dr. Chumley and, and Elwood, and it's them going back and forth about Harvey and about really who Elwood is, and it's it's the crux of the entire show. It's the point of the entire piece. Uh, the idea that being pleasant and being kind is more important than being smart or sophisticated. Uh, again, great, uh, great scene between uh, two male characters, uh, and it would be it would be really, it would have a lot of really good material to get into if you're doing it for a class or something, or even just for fun. Uh, now, I have thoughts, Dylan. You have thoughts. Um, I know you're I not do. a theater guy. Well, that, that's good. That's good. That means you're, you're still alive. Um, I know you're not a theater guy, but you love the film. You've read the script. Hit me with your best thoughts. All right, so first off, um, may I just say that that scene that Will just referred to where um, Elwood explains to Dr. Chumley why he is the way he is and that he, you know, the whole smart versus pleasant conversation has to be my absolute number one favorite moment in the film, potentially, like, of most entertainment. Um, it's amazing. I don't think Harvey is the best movie ever made, but it certainly is my favorite. Yeah. Um, and I refer, I refer to the movie and the play sort of synonymously because they're both so close to each other. Mm -hmm. Um so, one of my favorite things about the movie, and I'm assuming the play again because um, Josephine Hull was in both, is the very understated humor. The number of hysterical lines that Vita has that fly under the radar is it's amazing. Um, for instance, at one point she's talking about Elwood and she says, um, after all, he's my baby brother and I've known him for years. <laughs> and the, the line is delivered as if there's nothing funny about it. No comedic timing, no funny reactions from the other characters. There, there are several moments throughout the play that are like this. Well, and as an actor, you know, that's 
that's a role. It, it's very easy to play a the funny man because everyone expects certain comedic timing. You wait for applause. Like there's certain expectations that come with playing a, a classically funny character. But when you're playing a character that has to play everything super straight, it's it's a it's a much I, th I at least personally I see it as much more of a challenge. So it, it really gives you know Vita like a really cool depth and complexity to her that would I mean it would it would make in my opinion it would be a, a great challenge for any actor to accept. Right, and that's something that in everything that I've seen, just being whole in she nails that style oh, of humor for sure um arsenic several, and old lace if yes, anybody's not familiar there's several moments in that which if you ever do an episode of your podcast on that you have to have me as your guest well i don't have to have anybody well, but true. but this is a one it was more of a this is a one horse rodeo it was it was, <laughs> it was more of a, a, a jovial um what's the word ultimatum mm. well, I, my words are not coming to me tonight sorry. all right so I also appreciate how close this film stays to the plan. I know we, I talked about this a little bit before, but um, the film has a couple of extra locations, but the scenes and dialogue are mostly the same. The only major difference in the dialogue from the play to the movie is that all of the um, cussing and language from the play was edited out of the film because of Hollywood's codes. I mean, it's not like we're discussing Gone with the Wind or something. Now, in my script, there's just this little note that says... I'm assuming we'll get some funny banter here. Winky face emoji. Yeah. But I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Continue on, sir. I feel like you just did. But I wasn't <laughs> gonna... All right. So, yeah, mm. um, I, I absolutely love this play for, for, mm -hmm. for many reasons. And, you know, the, the last reason that I will share is it, it's just an uplifting story yeah. that doesn't come with an agenda. It simply tells a good story. Um, Jimmy Stewart is definitely my favorite actor, and this is possibly his best performance. Um, he certainly thought so. This was actually Stewart's favorite of his films and stories that he got to be a part of, including when he was in the play. Um, as Will mentioned earlier, he, well, yeah, because he was in the stage production, um, he was basically made for the role of Elwood P. Dowd. He had a way of playing characters that were like him, you know, genuine, kind, considerate. There's a reason he only ever played two villains. And might I add, in that one Thin Man movie, it was almost jarring to see him as a bad guy. Um, but I digress. Anyway, you can really tell that Elwood is the kind of person that Stewart aspired to be. He got the person to play he or he got to play the person that he wanted to be, and it allowed him to portray a potentially complex character with seeming ease. My number one absolute moment or favorite moment in film is that conversation that Elwood has with Dr. Chumley when he says, you can be either oh-so-smart or oh-so-pleasant. I was smart for many years. I recommend pleasant. You may quote me. <laughs> and it's just, even down to the you may quote me, it just sort of, that scene sums up Elwood's character and the theme of the play. Yeah. I would also like to, to mention, uh, in regards to Jimmy Stewart, um he he didn't win a Tony Award uh, for or sorry not Tony Award an Academy Award for Best Actor on that film he was nominated but then also if you look at the the six nominations he got for Best Actor it's like Philadelphia Story 
this film. Um, he won for Philadelphia Story, I believe. But like, I, I mean, so. and I think too, I can't remember if we've mentioned it or not. But Jimmy Stewart didn't just do the film and do the Broadway production. He did the Broadway production like three separate times, and then also I think did like an off Broadway production of it much later in life. Um, I mean, he was, he was dedicated to this role, but it, it genuinely is a phenomenal, phenomenal role. Um, well, every Easter, he would show this movie to his kids and he just, he loved the story so much that yeah. he wanted his family to develop a love for it like he had. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful story. Um, it's also not a super long story. Uh, it sits right about 70 pages. Um, and you know, like Dylan said, it's, it's very short and sweet, um, However, it's a, it's a really interesting something something that I've been guilty of on this show before is using the cliche it's no Shakespeare, uh, and I I know where that comes from. It's just the idea that like it's not elevated language or it's not like super critically renowned necessarily. Though this is, I mean, my goodness, it won a Pulitzer. It's kind of a loaded cliche. Obviously, most plays can't use elevated language and shouldn't. Um, and they certainly shouldn't have to in order to be considered excellent. Harvey is one of these examples. It's brilliant, and every word is earned and has weight to it. But it's not Old English or super academic or impossible for, you know, the, quote unquote, the masses to understand. In some ways, it's very simple. A pure instance of classic 1930s comedy. But at the same time, it's got some impressive themes and, and, and points to it. Elwood P. Dowd is really very reminiscent to me of Lev Mishkin, uh, the protagonist of Dostoevsky's The Idiot. The entire point of that novel was that conventional wisdom and society standards for beauty or intellect or decorum is so often wrong, and that it's the rare few exceptions to the rule who are often in, viewed as insane or idiotic who are genuinely exceptional people. Like, genuinely the best people. And I think, looking at what we've taken away from the script, uh, it's, yes, this is a feel-good 1930s comedy, but there is that deep truth that hides underneath the sort of goofiness of seeing, you know, in in many cases, seeing Jimmy Stewart run around with an invisible rabbit. (laughs) It's a very honest critique of just about any society that's out there. I mean, that's why Harvey... Uh, the the show, or, or really just the concept of, of Dowd, works wherever you put him. Again, whether it's with an Irish rabbit spirit, or an imperialist Russia, or even, to be honest, like, if you've ever seen the Ben Stiller movie, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, he kind of falls into that category as well. You know, deep down, we all know that we're not as good as we should be, and we all know that societal standards are often not great uh we certainly see this in the beauty world we we see it in the way that we behave online there is a version of ourselves that's way better than we ever think we can get to and there's a version of what society could and should look like that's way better than where we're at and and i think that it's the elwoods of the world or the elwoods of fiction that Again, they show that best side of humanity. They show that best side of what we want to be. And even if 
convention, even if protocol would deem them incredibly strange, they really are the best that we have to offer as a society. Now, if you get a chance to read the show or see it or be in it, do so. It is, again, it's a classic. It is a Pulitzer Prize winner. It is a brilliant piece with a beautiful, purposeful message. Um, and, and absolutely, go watch the movie. Um, this, this is going to be one of those rare instances where uh, I'm going to recommend to watch the movie adaption of the play. Uh, that almost never will happen on this show, I assure you. Harvey is one of those cases um, where it's very well worth it. I think it's also interesting to point out, uh, with recent news, this isn't something you necessarily know, Dylan, uh, but with Dear Evan Hansen coming out, the film... And having Ben Platt play the role, um, it, you don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't see mm -hmm. a lot. Like, Arsenic and Old Lace had some crossover from Broadway to the film. This show has it. Uh, but but certainly, it's it's a lot more rare now. Right. So, I'm actually curious. And, and yes, I think his afro looks ridiculous. <laughs> I think he'll kill the role. But that's another, that's another story for another time. Uh, all that to say... The film is very much worth watching, and if you don't have time to go and read the script, sit down and watch the movie. It's, it's like Dylan and I have both said, it's essentially the same thing. There's very, very little change other than they had the budget to go on set and or go on location and film. Well, if I may add, talking about that, um, there are several movies from back in that time period that were almost yeah. as if, it's almost as if, if you've seen... Um, the recorded versions of actual plays that were performed live. It's almost as if they did that, but instead yeah. of on stage with a live audience, they just recorded it on a film set. So it's like film back in that day was mm -hmm. more a theater for the masses. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. It's almost more of a pro shot uh, just with, with a Hollywood budget and, and mindset. Um, but anyway, sorry, we've I've gotten completely... Uh, completely off my script, but um, but yeah, go watch the movie. It's really great. It's a good adaption. It's uh, essentially with the cast that they have. It's essentially a pro shot. Um, so really well worth watching. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any final thoughts on on the show as a whole? On just like what we talked about? Really, pretty much everything that you just said sums up what I was Sweet. thinking. So. Awesome. Cool. We love that. We love being on the same page. You would almost think we were brothers. <laughs> well, another week, another episode. I'm sorry that things were a little scattered this go-round. Uh, Dylan was out of state for a bit. I was starting a new job. Um, but you know what? Looking at the time, we're doing quite well. I, I have the sinking suspicion that the audio is going to be a little bit quiet. So just, you know, crank up, crank up the volume when you're listening to this. Now that you're at the end and you haven't heard a single thing we said, maybe I'll add a note at the beginning. Like yeah, just like a, like, like a quick little note of like, Hey, cause I'm not an audio producer and I'm guys, I'm literally recording this on like voice memos on my computer. It, it is the most ghetto setup of all time. Well, the most ghetto setup of all time would be recording it to a, cassette tape and then sending that cassette tape to a guy in Serbia who then <laughs> uploads it to SoundCloud. That would be the most sketch. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've gotten, this is the longest episode by a mile. Um, but anyway, yeah, sorry that things were a little bit more scattered, not quite as organized. Um, but 
a very special thanks again to Dylan. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for being on the show. Do you want to plug your pluggables? I don't really have it, a whole lot of pluggables other true. than, um, yeah. Yeah, you have to hunt him down in real life, just like the old days. Right. <laughs> so, if you, ever, if you ever need music done for anything, I'm a guitarist, so yeah, yeah. contact the the actual host of this podcast, I guess. I'm not your manager. Yeah, you are now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have just I get I get fifty percent commission. Fifty percent. I'm cool. the only manager you've got available to you right now, sir. True. We'll, we'll negotiate that a little bit better. <laughs> sure, we will. Um, anything, anything fun you've got going on? Anything cool you got going on? Anything creative? You working on any projects? I'm just trying to survive this summer. That's I've a. Got, got I think, a I think that's the mood. So. That is the current vibe: is survive it's, the summer. Um, you know, uh, in regards to this show, uh, I don't have a specific play picked out for next week. I am currently slowly working through a show that promises to be really, really good. Uh, but I don't know yet. Uh, hopefully things will slow down over the next little bit and we won't miss another week. Um, but who knows these days <laughs> now, if you've got a suggestion for a future episode, you can reach out to the podcast at the script library on Instagram. Uh, you can also, uh, you know, reach out to me at the WC cloud on Twitter and at the will cloud on Instagram. Uh, if you have, you know, any suggestions, comments, criticisms, you, you know, you have a show you want me to review, you're writing a show you want me to review. I actually, a, a friend of mine from way back is working on a, a show right now and we're going to, we're going to sit down and talk about it at some point when he gets it done. Um, I currently am, uh, slinging espresso and slowly but surely writing my own musical, which once I get that thing finished, guys, I actually, sorry, I, I literally, this happened this evening and I'm sort of rambling. I started, so I'm working with a good friend of mine on the, he's doing the lyrics I'm also going to be working with another friend on doing a lot of the the music, but I was bored this afternoon and I just sat down with some of the lyrics that we do have and just started plunking out chords. And guys, I've kind of we've kind of got a first song that should be done by the end of the week, and I'm hoping to maybe get it out. And who knows? Maybe we'll do a, a quick like weekend edition just talking about this song. Maybe I'll have my friend who who wrote the lyrics on. All that to say. My show that I'm working on is actually coming together, and it's really exciting to see it sort of piece itself together. Uh, but I have spent way more time of yours than I should have. Again, thank you so much, Dylan, for joining us. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, also, uh, you know, you can find this podcast pretty much anywhere. If you're on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate a review. Uh, hopefully five stars. If I'm not worth five stars, I, I appreciate the honesty. Now, we haven't broken up into the top, like, theater review podcast charts, but we're getting close. I think we might have a shot at being the best play script review podcast started in the last five months. We might be the only one, but that's okay. <laughs> Again, I'm your host, Will Cloud. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and thank you for stopping by the Script Library.